Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. And welcome back to our journey da, 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 through First Peter four, and we're almost in First Peter five. I decided to dedicate a whole podcast here just to the last three verses of First Peter four, because I think it's just really, really important that we understand these verses. Because I don't know if you, well, I guarantee you've heard these verses before, and in some way I understand how people are using them, but. Man, in these in these end times, it's so important that we understand these scriptures and apply them correctly so we don't put people once again in bondage. And if you know me and you know my heart, one of my biggest things is I want people out of bondage. And I hate any kind anything that wars against love and freedom. And there's two things that absolutely war against love and freedom. Number one is sin. And by that, I mean, is, you know, well, by sin, I think. I don't know if I need to go into definition of that right now, but, uh, you know, sin, any, anything that would fall short of the glory and the righteousness of God as laid out in scripture would be sin. And uh, the reason that it's sin is because it wars against love. So if you look at every kind of thing in the, in the Bible that's listed as a quote unquote sin, it's listed as such because either it wounds the heart of God or it wounds the person or, and these are all and ors, and or it wounds another person. So if you just take a look at something like fornication, let, let's look at that. And that's listed as a sin many, many times, both under the old and new covenants. And so you look at, let's just say the new covenant uh, listing of fornication, and you go, well, why is that a sin? In other words, forn- fornication would be essentially sexual intercourse or intimacy outside of a marital covenant. Well, why is that sin? Well, let's say that a man and a woman are not married and they come together sexually. Um, Well, they're not married, which means that they, uh, but most people, about 95% of people will be married at some point in the future. So what are you doing? You're you're actually stealing what belongs to, you're sleeping with someone else's wife, you know, which maybe they're not married then at that moment, but they will be, or at least you don't know if they will be or not. And what you're doing is actually stealing from someone else's spouse and you're taking something from another person that does not belong to you. Uh, It belongs to them. In other words, it belongs to the person for whom the covenant and the righteous covenant of God awaits in marriage. And you're taking that away. So that's why fornication, at least one of the many reasons, not to mention the things that it does to your spirit that's harmful to you, the things that it does to other people in your life, potentially, um, depending on you know the nature of the fornication and the person and all of that, not to mention the other risks that you're taking, um, not to mention you know pregnancy and, and the things that you're doing there that when you bring a child into the world, it's not about uh, you and your happiness. You know, bringing a child into the world is about glorifying God and, and loving another person selflessly. So anyway, I know people don't understand that like these days, but <laughs> that's the biblical way things are supposed to be done. So anyway, that's why it's not love. That's just one example. Like, why does the Bible say don't steal? Well, stealing isn't love, right? This is wounding to someone's heart, and that would be stealing anything. So anyway, I could go through, I won't, but I could go through all the, the sins that are listed, 
And all the sins that are listed are listed as sins because they're not love. Like they violate love and in some way they hurt someone else. So um, when we talk about judgment, I just want you to understand that the judgment of God, when you boil it down to really what it is, a lot of people hear that word judgment and they're like, they almost view it as like, well, God is just going to hurt people. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but like for years of my life before I actually studied this, before I went to seminary, before I learned what judgment was biblically, before I studied it um, in, in Greek and in Hebrew and, and was like, what, what is this judgment thing? Like, what does that actually mean? Um, I, you know, my thought was anytime anybody said judgment, it meant that God was sending horrible pain and awfulness uh, to me if, if the judgment was against me because I suck. So it was something like that. So whenever it was like judgment against the church, it was like I saw like, you know, fiery hailstones falling from heaven and, and destroying church buildings or, or something like that. Uh, but I want you to understand that that I'm, I'm not saying that judgment would never manifest like in that way. I'm just saying that's not really the nature of the word itself. So the nature of the word is to pronounce judgment. In other words, basically separating the precious from the vile is what judgment really comes down to. And I, I always defined it like this. It is to, to remove all that hinders love. So if I were to boil down judgment to as far as like how, especially under the new covenant, like what is judgment? It is basically God coming, if it's God's judgment, that I mean, and it's him moving in such a way that would remove all that hinders love. And that, and that would be from the human spirit, from church structure, from everything, as far as we're talking about the household of God, it's to remove all that hinders love. And and that's why it's so important that we, well, and it's why love is the core value of the kingdom. I mean, guys, it is, love is the core value. When they asked Jesus, what are the most two most important commandments? He said, love God and love people. And then people are like, well, how do you abide in his love? And they said, well, they'll abide in, Jesus said, abide in my love by keeping my commandments. Well, what are his commandments? His commandments are love God and love people. So I understand it's kind of circular, but he basically is like, it's about love, like love God, love people, and you'll abide in my love by doing what I told you to do, which is love God and love people. <laughs> so, I mean, this, this core value of love, you have no idea how easily this can be, be completely twisted, both for the weird uh, people that think love is just approval of everything everyone does, and the greasy grace psychopaths, sorry, not to be insulting, but that is a crazy doctrine, the greasy, greasy grace stuff. But also the religious people, they twist love to basically be you performing everything. So fast more, pray more, do more, serve more, read your Bible more. And somehow that's all love. And if you don't do that, like you're bad or you're not loving. And I'm like, hold on, guys, like <laughs> love is a heart issue and it's imputed to us and given to us as a free gift to be given away by us in absolute love. And I don't think any of us has a the deep revelation of that. I, I mean, I... Gosh, I've been bathed in the Father's love for 20 plus years, and I still, I'm like, I don't think I've touched one quadrillionth of what the Father's love really is. I think I've barely even begun to understand it. But anyway, I just want you guys to understand when we're talking about um, what we're getting about ready to enter into in this scripture, uh, you know, gets weird. So I, I just want to make sure that we understand, first of all, the context that we've been going over. So if you haven't heard the last few podcasts, definitely go back in First Peter um, and listen to them. But the context here is 
is Peter talking yet again about suffering and specifically saying, your suffering should come only from your righteousness. <laughs> In other words, your suffering should come from you following Christ and for no other reason. Um, which, of course, then intimates that your suffering is not, it, you know, it's not like God bringing you suffering or God bringing you trials. Like that doesn't really happen. It's basically your suffering comes from following God and it costing you. Uh, you know, persecution from non-believers or persecution from other believers or, or attack from the enemy. He's saying, that's where I want your suffering to come from if, in fact, it must come. Uh, so 1 Peter 4.17 says this. This is where we left off. And he just got done saying, look, su I want you to suffer as a Christian and for no other reason. In other words, suffer because you're a Christian. Uh, verse 17, he says, for it is time. Here we go. Very famous scripture. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now, people typically quote this and, and usually they're mad at the church, you know, or something like they're they're all mad at the church or they've been hurt by the church or they don't like how the church is. So they're like, judgment will begin with the household of God. And usually like <laughs> that's how I hear it or I've heard it anyway. It's people that are mad and they're railing against the church and like the judgment must come and and this kind of a deal. And while I completely get and understand where they're coming from in the sense that I think um, obviously most of the church in the Western world, and I had no idea how bad it was until I moved down here to the South, is so far removed from the actual beauty, power, and simplicity of the real gospel as to not even come close to resembling what the ecclesia or the church of the New Testament, New Covenant actually is supposed to look like. And that was quite frightening and eye-opening to me. Like I had no idea that churches were run how they are run until as far as I had no idea. I won't even go into detail because I don't want to get negative and go into all everything that's wrong with the church. Like we have plenty of people out there doing that. And I don't want this podcast to have any, any part of uh, simply railing against like how crappy everything is. I, I'm not sure how helpful that is. Um, but uh, what I do understand pointing out flaws, I do understand saying, hey, here's something that needs to change, but you better have the answer. You know, don't just point out like, here's the bad thing. Like you better have a better paradigm and a better answer for what's going on. Otherwise, you're just a noisy gong and a clanging symbol that's bringing nothing to anyone except for more condemnation or more, um, how do I put it, more oomph to self-righteous people that already uh, are smug and are sitting there going like, yeah, you tell them how it is. Like, I don't, you know, I don't see anybody repenting, you know, or anything or changing or being filled with the father's love. So anyway, but I do understand that a lots of change needs to take place again after seeing everything here. But most of the time you hear this in a very negative light and I, I don't even really see it in a negative light. Cause remember he talked, he's, his context is he's talking about suffering as a believer so when he says it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, I think what he's talking about is like uh, in part that judgment uh, or part that suffering comes from non-believers. And he's saying like, look, uh, sometimes like the, the church has taken the lead. You know, in other words, like God has given us authority, tremendous authority in Christ Jesus. And the church has been taking the lead. We've been plowing the ground 
And when movement begins, when judgment comes, again, to remove the precious from the vile, remember, judgment removes all that hinders love. When that begins to happen, when this begins to happen, it will come. We want God to move. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you believers right now, we want the judgment of God. You absolutely want the judgment of God. You know why? Because the judgment of God is always good, and it's always righteous, and it always brings peace, and it always brings the glory and the kingdom of God. So you, you want the judgment of God. It's just that he's saying you really want that to come as you're walking righteously. Like this is what you want. Um, you want to, again, that judgment to come because he's looking at you and he's going to judge you not based on your works. He's going to judge you based on your faith in Christ and your faith in his works. Again, that's why you get judged. So you want the judgment to come. But what he's talking about, it for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. I want you to understand probably in this context, because Peter's ministry um, was primarily to the Jews. At least he had a, a big chunk of it was to the Jews. And he's probably talking about that. Like it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God, meaning Jewish people. And he wants them to understand that they need to get right before him. But but also, even if he's talking to Gentiles, he's saying, look, believers right now, the judgment is to begin. In other words, the move of God that separates all that hinders love is coming. And it begins with us first. In other words, it begins with those who know God. And it's that's a really good thing. Like we want that to come. People are like, don't judge me. But you know what? I mean, his judgment is righteous. His judgment is good. His judgment is holy. And we just need to come before him in righteousness, in repentance, in holiness, in humility, knee bowed before him, face prostrate before his throne and, 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 and say, you know, I, I don't want everything. In other words, my case, I don't know if you guys have a case you want to argue before the father, but here's my case. My case will be, I deserve nothing, but I believe in your son. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to go look at my list of works. Look how awesome I am. I deserve to be judged righteously. I will not do that. Like, I don't know what you plan on doing, but I plan on falling on my knees, prostrate on my face and just saying, I ask for your mercy based on the shed blood of Jesus and no other reason. And all I can say is my heart is given over to him and I believe in him fully and not in me. And that that's my plan. So I don't know what your plan is, but that's my plan. So whatever the judgment of God it looks like, I, I want to take that position. But it does begin with the church first. And then he, he basically that is a quote like right out of Ezekiel. Um, so he begins to quote, at least paraphrase. It's not a quote, I guess. So he, that part prayer, paraphrases, I think it's Ezekiel 9. And he says, if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, it's like, Whoa, like at this, at this separation of precious and vile and separation of all that hinders love happens with us first. What about those who have rejected the gospel? And then he quotes a proverb directly. And when he quotes the proverb directly, he says this. Um, and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, I think it's proverb, I don't remember the one exactly, but um, if it is a difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will we become of the godless man and the sinner? Um, so he's essentially just making the point that when God begins to move, like you want to make sure that you are absolutely walking in his love and you have completely given over your life to him and you trust him for all righteousness, all holiness and all love. So the judgment falls in your favor 
because the only judgment of God that falls in your favor is on those who have righteousness imputed to them by Christ through faith in him. And Peter knows this. So he's saying, well, if, if that, you know, and, and again, the righteous are saved, you're only righteous by the blood of Christ. So he's saying if that's even difficult in the sense that it's hard for people to accept the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and it is, by the way, then what will become of the godless man? In other words, what will become of the people who have not accepted that free gift? He just says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their hearts, I'm uh, sorry, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And there's a lot wrapped into that last verse, but I want to first tell you what it doesn't mean. When he says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God. See, people look at that and go, oh, see, it's God's will that everyone suffers. And he doesn't mean it in that way. Like, again, what is the context of the passage? Well, the context of the passage is that God's will is not for you to suffer, but his will is that if you suffer, you suffer for being a believer. I don't know how often I have to say that, but I'll keep saying that over and over because Peter keeps saying it over and over. And so when he says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, he means they're suffering according to the will of God, meaning they're suffering as a believer. So does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to you guys. When he says, therefore, those, he's not saying um, the will of God is for everyone to suffer. Like that is absolutely not what he's saying. He's saying, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, meaning whose suffering is in accordance with the will of God, meaning that their suffering is because of them being believers. Again, not that God wants them to suffer. So when he says according to the will, he doesn't mean it's God's will to suffer. He means their suffering is in accordance with their walk with God or in accordance with the will of God, meaning Therefore, I don't know if I'm saying this well, so hopefully, hopefully I am because I, I understand what I mean in my head. I don't know that everyone listening to this is understanding, but it making sense in my brain. So again, he's not saying because people will read this and go, see, God's will is everyone to suffer. And clearly that is not God's will. We have lots and lots of scriptures to back that up. All he's saying is those who also suffer according to the will of God, meaning their suffering is in accordance with the will of God. Uh, again, their suffering is a direct result of persecution or attack and a result in, in that persecution and attack is a result of them following God. That is to suffer according to the will of God. So, okay, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> in this last part, they shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And this is a very powerful word. It's a Greek word that is only used a couple of times where he says they'll, they shall entrust their souls. Um, just so you know, we're going to end with this. Back in the ancient Near East, uh, there was no such thing as banks, really. Like the, there, there, there weren't banks. You couldn't really take your money and sort of deposit it in the local bank in, you know, next to your synagogue or something like that. That typically was not the case. So most of the time, what you would do is everyone had their own money in their house. So if you were going to go on a long journey in the ancient Near East, you would have to take your money and, and find a very close friend. And this close friend would have been so close and so trusted to you that you would give them all of your money to watch for you until you came back. And they even had a, a word for that. And that word is where we get our, this word, entrust their souls. Um, that entrust word is the same word that they would use to the entrusted friend. 
So again, you're going to leave your house. You, there's no banks. You, you're, you don't want to leave your money just sitting there because somebody could break in and steal it. So you would take all of it and you would give it to an entrusted friend. And that friend would have to be so close and so trusted that they would just watch it and keep it for you and not touch it while you were off doing whatever. And then you came back. So he actually uses that word who suffer according to the will of God. They'll entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So this is like he's saying there's this level of trust with our soul where it's like we give our soul over to this faithful creator um, and, and trusting that he's going to do what is right by staying in him throughout any kind of suffering. So that is basically the point there. And I think that's so, so powerful that he's calling us right now to entrust our souls to him as a loving and faithful creator that no matter what happens, we trust that he is God and that he's got this. And by the way, there is glory coming on the end of this. Like he talked, I think I talked about that in the last podcast. There is glory coming out on the end of this. So understand as we go forward, especially into these end times, I know Israel's being attacked as I speak. Obviously I'm praying for them. I think a whole bunch of people around the world are praying for them. Um, and it's important that we do that, especially right now with all the craziness in the world and what could happen as a result of that attack. So no matter what happens, guys, coming down the pike, it's like we entrust our souls to the creator and we are going to walk righteously and any suffering that may come, it will come as a result of our seeking Christ and loving him and not backing down in any way. And then thirdly, the, there is glory. And I believe there's glory on this side. And of course, there's glory on the other side. But, you know, Jesus did say this very clearly. It's one of my favorite verses where he says, um, if you, you know, seek first the kingdom and his, his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And in one, I can't remember which gospel it is, but he says um, that th they'll be given back to you in this life and in the age to come. So I just want you guys to understand there's a promise for this life and in the age to come. We can stand on both of those. So anyway, next week we're going to go into first, or, uh, first Peter 5 or next podcast, First Peter 5. And we'll be talking about this last chapter of, of First Peter and how important it is for leadership. And my goodness, some of the stuff that I, I hope we see happen in leadership in the future because... We need some good godly leaders right now. So anyway, we'll talk to you about that next week. We're going to, or next podcast, we're going to dive right into it and love you guys and talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the give link. Thank you.